again, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Geek Down Podcast, the show where two nerds sit in front of microphones and try to find the sweet spots where their fandoms intersect. My name is Jordan Ferguson. Caitlin McKinnon is en route back from the Magic Kingdom. So joining us today, filling in, longtime friend of both Caitlin and myself, longtime friend of the show, the Reverend of the Irreverent, the worst chaplain ever, Mr. Kaim Dar. Thank you for such an excellent uh, introduction. How are you, Kaim? I'm doing well. I just want to say I'm uh, soups happy to be here. Soups hap. Soups ha- soups hap to be here, and uh, good moment to you, listeners. And break break down your credentials, Kaim. If we if we did our secret origins and and said what our wheelhouses were, oh. which we now all know what that means now. What is your wheelhouse, Kaim? Uh, similar to both Jordan and Caitlin, uh, just. Uh, nerding out since i was a kid um mostly vertigo in the 90s as well as really crappy marvel and dc uh, crossovers in the 90s uh (laughs) anime in the 90s uh yeah and then i just started getting into more independent comics in the last year year and a half or maybe like a bit more than that so now i'm tracking down hard to find series um significant one was like poison elves and, and weird stuff like that. Uh, so Poison Elves. Poison Elves. I do not know what that is. But it was, uh, it was an independent comic by Drew Hayes, and it was just that can-do DIY attitude, and he basically just built up a following and just kept plowing through. The artwork's not always so great, <laughs> and his artistic references were like the elves look like members of you know poison white snakes so the aesthetic was weird but nice but this but the story itself was really cool and then he died uh, and then before, he died then he before the series was officially over so it kind of left the series on a cliffhanger which was pretty crazy and that's when i started to get into it and so now i'm just um reading a handful of manga um dropping a lot of marvel and dc titles <laughs> and <laughs> which, which we will get to in a moment <laughs> and um and yeah i also drawing comics since I could pick up a pencil. So. Yes, yeah, so this is that's important to note. Kayam yeah. is uh, of the of the people who have been on this show. He's the only one besides me and Caitlin. But Kayam actually makes the stuff that we talk about. Yeah, um, I, I and I find that and and I think that's that's um, uh, some some of your your, your and Caitlin's uh, breakdowns of stuff are very very significantly different because you guys are looking at it from. From the seats to the stage, whereas I'm sort of breaking down sometimes the production of of you know what's behind the curtain and mm-hmm. how do the layouts of a book look and how do how do this how does the storytelling and pacing go? So it's it's got, sort of, got more of a knowledge of how the sausage gets made. So to yes, speak. yes. Uh, so, that said, the guts of the book. That said, to revisit a controversial statement made on the last show, Jack Kirby, does he hold up in 2016? Yeah. Eh. Shut up, Matt. <laughs> so, could, just for the record, I can appreciate his contributions and the influence he's had on the industry. It's just like nowadays, it's kind of like, eh. I'm going to apologize to the people now if uh, the show sounds weird and it sounds like there are uh, rats scurrying around in the show this week. Uh, the microphones are possessed by ghosts this week. No, and, I am not that type of chaplain who can <laughs> exercise those type of demons. God, I wish you were. The micro, the mics are possessed by ghosts, and the monitor volume is just uh, consistently dropping out, which is not the end of the world. It just really fucking bugs me when it happens. Oh, we can drop F-bombs. 
Oh yeah. We, oh sweet. That okay, was, was gonna slip. So we know we Anyways, have we have so. we have the red E on our uh, on our podcast. <laughs> yippee skippy. Caitlin swears like a sailor. Like. <laughs> I guess it's sort of uh, just, yeah. She it's kind of like I've known Caitlin, so just kind of kind of tune it out after a while. I didn't get a chance to actually FaceTime or Skype with Ms. McKinnon this week. We did have a brief Facebook chat uh, this morning, and I asked her if uh, she's en route. She has left the Magic Kingdom, but she is uh, en route. She'll be getting back into Hamilton uh, sometime tonight. And we spoke this morning, and I asked her if there was anything she wanted the people to know about her trip. She said, quote, it was amazing. I had so much fun. My feet may never recover from the pilgrimage to the great fiberglass castle. Americans are weird. So there you go. I'm sure she will have much more to say when she's actually back here on the show. We have no reason to doubt that the trip was everything Ms. McKinnon wanted it to be, and hopefully she met Mrs. Potts. We're happy for you, Caitlin. We are very happy for you, Caitlin. Get your life, queen. So, Kayam. Jordan. It's time for news. Do you guys have like a news sound that you put in? Uh, it's actually kind of, it's basically that. Okay. So what we have this week is uh, a lot of trailers dropped. Yeah. So I thought what we would yeah. do is just do a quick... Uh, Quick yay or nay on some of these some of these trailers. All right. So, Kayam, yay or nay, Suicide Squad. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. I was kind of okay with it. I I have low expectation of DC movies. Well, yes, we all have low expectations of DC and, movies now, but and uh, they're great at making trailers. <laughs> they, they are. I so, was e- I was even sold. I'm I was even sold on. I knew at the time. I remember I said on Facebook when I posted the Donna Justice trailer, I was like, "This is going to be bad." Yeah. But this trailer actually almost I'm not makes me believe you to that. Almost makes me believe it will be good. Yeah, I'm not dragging you to Dawn of Justice. Uh, you are noble in your mercy, sir. Yes, yes, I am. Suicide Squad. I will say. I mean, regardless, there's been some rumors that they they were doing reshoots specifically for this fact. Uh, the director has has denied that uh the trailer definitely looks like it has something no dc movie has had up to this point uh like humor like fun technically like like an acknowledgement at its own absurdity technically green lantern did (laughs) that's that's pre kayam no uh it doesn't even matter green lantern to the dc cu is uh you know fantastic four to the mcu like just it's off in its own world it doesn't count yeah, a lot of these movies just don't count for a lot of people. Uh, but I wasn't, I mean, I thought Margot Robbie did a good job. Um, I think she's doing Harley justice. Yeah, I mean, like last week you guys talked about it. It was, is it going to be a good movie? Probably not. Are we going to watch it because we want to see these characters <laughs> have movies made? Yeah, unfortunately so. And so it it kills us, but we want to see more we want to see studios um, be encouraged to make more of these. Just we're kind of disheartened that they're not doing it right. If anything, I was impressed with this one because it really kind of feels like Harley's story. She gets the most face time in the trailer. I mean, for a movie with Will Smith at the top of the marquee, like, yeah, and, he was kind of a supporting character in that. It was and really I, Harley's, hope, Harley's trailer. You know, I hope that uh, that it. I hope we're wrong. I, I sincerely and truly hope that we are wrong in our uh, in our kind of judgments to the trailers. And I hope that this movie does spectacularly and revitalizes the DCCU. But current track record, eh? You, you know what we call that, Kyle? What? Cautiously optimistic. I don't even know. <laughs> 
Are you being sarcastic? No. I don't even know anymore. Always stay cautiously optimistic. Uh, yeah, and and that's the thing. I, we love these characters. It's why we want them to do well, which is why we get so disappointed when they don't. So that's a cautiously optimistic, meh, for Suicide Squad. Mm. Next up, Doctor Strange. First look at Boodle Snoop Cabbage Patch. Scumber Buffer uh, Cuddle Bunch there. He, uh, rolling around uh, Manhattan in his cloak and his meticulously cropped Van Dyke. And uh, and all those uh, memes coming out of uh, One Punch. <laughs> one Punch are, Ancient One. Uh, one Punch Ancient One and uh, Doctor, Doctor Strange in his One Punch cape with his arm up. Looks great. Uh, I, I am excited for this. I think... Uh, wasn't he Ancient One? Wasn't he, wasn't he not a white lady? Oh yes, he was a very much an Asian man. <sighs> All right, See, more on that in a moment. Of course, of course, that's a that's a much bigger issue. But just talking about the trailer, you see uh, that trailer. You see that trailer, Kaimdar. Do you want to see Doctor Strange? Absolutely. Fancy ghosts. Fancy ghosts. <laughs> Gentlemen, ghosts. Wrong universe. That was actually a DC character. Well, um, I was talking about the Saturday Night Live bit where Marvel can do no wrong. Bus people, Pam, <laughs> fancy ghosts. Oh god, that was a great sketch. I'll link that on the Tumblr page if it's still if it's still floating around. I mean, yeah, sure, sure, why not? Doctor Strange, whatever. It's you know. Here's the thing, though. Exactly, Doctor Strange. I mean, they're getting people hyped up for Doctor Strange. <laughs> They got people hyped up for Ant Man. Like they just got those. Well, Ant Man was to appease Stanley. If you read, and guess what? They they even cast that with somebody who you don't really take seriously, <laughs> Paul Rudd, and they nailed it. And it was a fantastic film. And a lot of people don't know and or don't care about Doctor Strange, but Marvel is doing something right where they can get people hyped up about the most obscure kind of eh, characters and make people froth at the mouth. And make me want to throw their money at them. Kevin, My Fe- money Kevin Feige just swinging his big adamantium balls ever since he made Iron Man a thing. Ever Why since not? then, ever since then, it's like you know what? Next up, Wood God. They freaking do Man Thing. Bring freaking do. Uh, I don't know who's who's a C list character. Give they me can... my uh, who is that? Like Thanos's cousin, Drax. Could, like no, oh, he could. He was another like. Lord of Titan or something who could like do manipulate Storm. They could do uh, the Marvel Firestorm uh, <laughs> or Fire God or whatever his name was. He was a Herald of Galactus. They could do a movie on that. They could just make a series of Heralds of Galactus <laughs> and just make it sort of uh, an office thing where they just talk about. Hmm. I don't know if we want to. Yeah, I'd rather have that be a workplace comedy. Yeah, like and they they could pull it off. Marvel <laughs> could do that. It would work. Um... You're welcome, Marvel. <laughs> Dropping jewels for you, Marvel. Just right. go, go ahead. You're up on the board now, officially, of all those people who like owe us money for the sweet ideas <laughs> that we give them. It's now like Marvel, CW was on the board. Yeah, uh, Archie Comics was on the board. There's so many people. Mattel, like, just just killing it. Apologize for the uh, rooting of snacks and uh, and Kaim was kind enough to uh, bring snacks for the recording this evening because it's basically Bachelor Week here on the Geek Down. So uh, we're just here, you know, in our boxers, swilling. Sport drink and eating candy. That's right. That's right. Mm. Next up on the trailer binge. People love the sound of eating on microphones. Mm-hmm. Next up on the trailer roundup, Kayam Dar, yay or nay, on the trailer I just showed you when you walked in the door. Yes. Gojira Resurgence. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so this is a new Godzilla movie. 
Not to be confused with the Gareth Edwards movie of a couple years ago with uh, oh, Brian. going to bug me too now. I can't remember his name. Friggin' Heisenberg there. Brian Cranston? Brian Cranston. Yeah, that'd be in there. That guy. Yeah, so not to be confused with those. This is a uh, Japanese Godzilla movie with more of the sort of practical effects style of Lizard. Looks more like a guy in a suit. Actually, as Kaim commented, it's kind of hard to tell what CGI and what is a guy in a suit. Yeah, it looked. He uh, seems to feature a uh, longer tail now. He has very like long tail. He has like squirrel-like. A, has like a red glow to him a little bit. It yeah, it looks it looks pretty cool. Uh, he the Godzilla the the monster looks pretty awesome. Um, can't can't tell half the time if it's a dude in a suit or or CG. We know nothing of the plot. There's no dialogue. There's not even really any text on the screen. It's Re- just like regardless of that, the cinematography in presented in the trailer was marvelous. Yes, this is co-directed by Hideaki Anno, who is best known in uh, certain segments of nerdery as the guy who brought us Neon Genesis Evangelion. And this and, m- movie is probably the reason why we don't have the fourth Evangelion rebuild movie yet. But goddamn right. Right, um, and yeah, it, you can you can tell there's there's very much an Evangelion flavor to the to this trailer. It, uh, yeah, a lot of the pretty, shots of like the military the trucks military, like shooting missiles and stuff look and the exactly disaster from scenes and uh, just just it looks great. So I mean, I I have a thing. I have a long history with uh, Japanese movies where I get super hyped about trailers because they look awesome, and then you watch the movie and it doesn't make any freaking sense. Hopefully, this does not continue that pattern, but. Thus far, I'm stoically nodding at you, Godzilla trailer. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And finally, the thing I couldn't get away from on my social media feeds, at the laundromat, everywhere I went, Kayam, tell me why I care about the Rogue One trailer. It has a very subtle and understated musical score. <laughs> That's why I care. I, I, you know what? Not that, a lot of people. That, that was your big takeaway. Not, not a lot of people noticed it. But one of the things that gave me chills was that the score presented in the trailer was phenomenal. <laughs> they were blending different tunes and the Imperial March and the the Rebel anthem, whatever the hell it is, and it it sounded phenomenal. Like I have no idea what the plot is. I have no idea what's going to happen, and I barely know where it's placed in the order chronology of the movies. I do not even I know that. I, okay, I don't I, even pay attention to this shit. I and yes, yes, you Brett, you're you're all vegan about how you don't <laughs> how you don't get it all Star Wars nerdy. Fine, we get it. Um, well, for Kaim and the people, uh, this is a movie that takes place between episodes three and four. So after. Revenge of the Sith. Yep, is that was called. Yep, and before A New Hope, there's a plot, minor plot detail in A New Hope where they have acquired the plans to the Death Star. And this is, this is this how is, it happens. This is about the team that was sent to steal the plans fine, for the Death Star. Fine, whatever. You know, this is this is Star Wars under Disney. So uh, chalk this up to another Fancy Ghosts. <laughs> this is uh, this. They're just gonna they're gonna do it. They're gonna give fans what they want at, by the looks of it. And um, yeah, it looks. It looks cool. Will it actually have a story that we care about or characters? Doesn't really matter because it looks awesome and it has and it sounds even better. Uh, I will say, despite my well-documented Star Wars agnosticism. That's a good phrase for it. Of anything that comes out in this entertainment behemoth that will last 
for the rest of all of our lives because we will not live long enough to see the last Star Wars movie. That's a sad. That's a sad realization. Kyle, you're going to die before Star Wars ends. That that makes me a little sad. Or before Marvel ends. Yep, yep. That makes me sad. You're never going to see these stories end. Nope. No, which is why we want. I want to consume as much of it as possible in this lifetime. <laughs> you want to gorge yourself on all the yeah, content pretty much. you can. Uh, despite that, this is the. If I'm going to throw my enthusiasm behind anything that has come out of the Lucasfilm Disney expanded universe approach to Star Wars, it's going to be this because this is just a caper movie. Yeah, I can see that. The one, the one shots is something on, on and in cinemas is not something that uh, that we've ever had so this is going to be uh, a very different movie experience star wars wise i don't even know if are we even going to get lightsabers in this movie uh, will it be a star wars movie if we don't have any lightsabers in it it can't it absolutely can't be and i'm sure they're well no given the given the time frame there may not be who knows will you see vader will it be like a reappearance of, of vader who knows um i did like like i said oh. it's, it's a caper movie i just blew kyle's mind it's a, it's a caper movie. I do appreciate that. It's just going to be a bunch of... It's going to be like Ocean's Eleven for in Star Wars. It's just going to be a ragtag crew. Yeah, but they're to not going to look as good. <clears throat> no, they won't. And who, whoever could. Not even could. close. And I will say, I did not mark out over like the Millennium Falcon in the Force Awakens trailer. Um, I yeah, did. it's kind of cool. I did mark out over like the shot of them like running on the ground with like AT-ATs in the distance. Yeah, like where you got cool. that sense of scale. I was like, yeah, okay. See, I'm into that. Give me like some actual drama or sense of you know. Give me a sense of stakes. I never really got that. Well, from Well, this Awakens. is this is um, this is now a new tradition that will start a new era of Star Wars filming, which is Star Wars minus George Lucas means uh, exponential potential of what can be presented to the audience, and there's new visions to this this mythology. Uh, is going to be fantastic to see where they're going to go with this, and it's just Lucasless Star Wars is is so awesome to watch. Again, I'm happy y'all are happy. I'll probably check this out. I could potentially a, drag a, you to this a year after it leaves theaters, but I'll be happy to do so. Yeah. So that is the trailer roundup. I think that's all the major ones that dropped this week. A uh, big week for for nerd movies. Something else that's apparently big that, thank thank God you're here, Kaim. You need to explain this to me as well, because you're far Sup. more knee-deep in the current comics than I am. Sup? DC's rebirthing. <sighs> we, yeah. We, we've mentioned this briefly before, and Kaim, yeah. and sorry, Caitlin and I didn't really know what was going on. We're just like, oh, DC's rebooting again. Kaim shoved a, uh, a, a previews. An issue of DC previews at my you had face. It right here. Had my face when he got here, and I had to flip through it and uh, made a quizzical look and said, "Kyam, why do I care about any of this? Kyam, why do I care about any of this? I don't know. <laughs> Kyam does not. Have I an I don't know. Just just a little background. I I collect comics. I've collected comics pretty much since grade nine when I had access to a regular comic store by my high school, and I've collected. Books like Green Lantern since since uh, re, uh, the 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 Hal Jordan Rebirth, which was how how long ago? Probably a decade. Uh, I was reading it and getting very angry because I knew it was another time Jeff Johns was going to put yeah a character it was, I loved it was out when to pasture. Jeff so. Johns Jeff Johns did Green Lantern for approximately a decade, if not more. Yeah, and um, and yeah, so I collected, if not the entire Jeff Johns run of Green Lantern. And so I've I've been a very dedicated fan. Even when I had friends who are 
who quit the book and said, this is crap, time to, time to hit the eject button. I hung in there. I stayed loyal. I kept buying. You, you were there when they burned the house down for the new 52? You were I, there? You, were there, you I stayed there? I kept going. I kept going with Green Lantern. I picked up some new 52 books, great books like Animal Man and Swamp Thing, which are uh, really some of the unsung heroes of the new 52. So, of course, they had to cancel them. <laughs> Uh, and and you know I even I even stuck around for an arc of Wonder Woman for the New Fifty Two and I thought okay they're going places but then so I don't know what happened it's just they had present these great arcs and these great writer artist duos for a good six issues or so and then they say hmm this is working fine time to change it up and now. Uh, I mean, there was that great letter from, I think it was uh, the president of um, Image Comics to the industry where he said, stop it. Oh, yes, the, the Eric Stevenson speech that Caitlin and I talked about. It was it was an excellent, excellent speech. And for the most part, he was just saying, stop it. Just, just stop. Stop. <laughs> stop. And they're not listening. And now we have a completely new rebirth. And they're advertising all these new books and yeah, I'm gonna actually try out a couple of them. Uh, Peter Tomasi and uh, Patrick Gleason working with Doug Monkey on Superman. Great combo. They did great work on Batman. Uh, it was Batman and Robin. Right, they did that great was the old work. Batman and Robin. Team, yeah, right? they did a great uh, run on a Green Lantern book or two. So that's that's a solid team. I'll give it a shot because of the team, not really because of Superman. And I'll even give Green Lantern another go because. Yeah, I I love the mythology. Um, Will I give any other books a chance? Probably not, um, because I don't care anymore. Thank you, DC. I don't care anymore. They finally did it to you. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, I don't know why. Why? I don't know why. And just tell a good story. Dress it up with some nice artwork. Stop giving, like, stop. Batman doesn't need... 50 books on the shelves give him give him you know a batman give him a detective comics and create some sort of create some sort of a bat family book with three or four issue arcs and that's all that's all and same with green lantern you don't need 50 books even though i collected them all hey you've been reading the comics more uh lately is is batman detecting anything i don't even know i i have not actually been reading batman for the longest time because everybody loves making him a racist fascist or something and i don't i don't care yeah sidebar how are you enjoying <laughs> how are you enjoying the uh kandorian terrorists in uh, dk3 i didn't e- i'm not even bothering with anything frank miller related i don't care um <laughs> I flipped through Holy Terror when we worked at Canadian Retailer, a major Canadian major, retailer. When we worked at a major Canadian retailer, and I and I looked at it and I thought, "What the hell is this?" And it was just Batman punching Arabs, and I could not <laughs> give a shit. Caitlin will have a chance to uh, go through this uh, this previews magazine of DC Rebirth or whatever, and uh, yeah, she can give you her take on it. They're they're providing more female friendly characters in there some some targeted demographing <laughs> so who knows who knows kate there may be something in there that you will enjoy lastly doubt it <laughs> lastly as far as news goes this week the thing that i could not run from yesterday because i am on an anime group on the facebooks 
It's a fun little group. People leave memes. They talk about what shows they like. Super respectful. Not a thing you really get in anime groups. Where's the lie, nerds? Come for me. Anime fans are jerks. Um, yes. But I could not escape because it came up at least 40 times on my anime board yesterday. <sighs> the first photo of Scarlett Johansson as Major Kusanagi in the Western adaptation of the classic anime and manga Ghost in the Shell. Kaimdar. Yo. Whitewashing or who gives a shit? Whitewashing. You're you're, you're firmly on the side that this is whitewashing. I uh, we uh, I'm not speaking for all um POCs who are nerds. <laughs> That's why we brought you here, Kaimdar. Oh, okay. Well, yes. Then on in that case, on, speaking on behalf of numerous <laughs> ethnicities Speak and for all of them kind. i was speaking on behalf of all colored people everywhere who are nerds we sick of this shit <laughs> god damn it what why 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 and it's just okay uh no but seriously it's uh, it's it's such a layered it's such a layered issue i mean um why <laughs> that's the, a good way to sum it up the counterpoint from people who say this is not that big a deal is that in the story of Ghost in the Shell, it's an android body. And Major Kusanagi is just a consciousness that has been downloaded into a sort of replicant body, which can have no nationality, so it doesn't matter if a white woman is playing the character. Hmm. And the story takes place where? I don't know (laughs) where the Western one is taking place. Originally, Japan. Right. So, um, yeah, Japanese people love to make their robots look like white people? What? I don't, I don't get it. You've seen the. I'm sure you, some of you have seen the the pictures of those androids that they're making. They got Japanese faces. They're making Japanese androids now. Um, that one dude made an android that looked like Scarlett Johansson, though. Whoa! Yeah, plot was, twist. Yeah, that was here, though. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, you can you can argue that counterpoint, but at the same time, why would a Japanese computer android scientist type person make a white face? Why? And there's like rumors going around that they're CGing the actors to look more Asian. So that's uh, what? Yep, I've I've been reading some stuff, and they're they've got these CG programs, so it's digital yellow facing, and huh, yeah. And but the point is, a, a lot of people are just kind of fed up with why not just cast an Asian person for a role that originated from an Asian story. And wh- why? Why why can't you do it? I mean, like, w- like if that studio do, is behind you, Black do Panther... Want, do you want they... the cynical answer? Because money. Because people who aren't us will never give this movie the time of day. Horse khaki. I'm Perhaps. Calling, I'm calling horse khaki Perhaps. on that. Because, and, I'll, and because people who don't care about that gave Avengers the time of day. They gave Iron Man the time of day. They gave Ant-Man the time of day. Okay, and they can give these movies because guess what? Nobody cared about comics, and then suddenly they did. Then, and they were presenting the the stories as they were told on page, and it worked. And Marvel Marvel believed in its characters and presented them pretty much as they are on page. And yet, people are getting all cranky pants about, um, or basically they're they're using the money argument that oh, if we present it as is, it's not gonna it's not gonna fly. 
Well, Marvel kind of proved that wrong. You present the characters as is, you don't adapt them for the screen, and they did just great. I think they could have done the same with this. I and it's you hate to be like oh, I can see both sides, but I can't kind of see both sides. I definitely think I definitely think this movie would not be getting made without her involvement. If she had not expressed interest, this would not be happening. And that said, it's an action movie. If the shit looks cool, if the trailer looks dope, it doesn't yes matter no, who but, is playing Kusanagi. But and, and the thing is, for a lot of us nerds of color, th- that's another big problem: is that things don't get made if the right-looking person is not attached to the problem. That's yes. that's horse crap. The fact that Hollywood will not invest in movies because they the the lead character isn't the right skin color. Or that's that's and that's actually kind of false because AMC released a great great miniseries called Into the Badlands, um, which was a six episode miniseries that I am on air right here right now pitching to you and Caitlin as your, one of your next side by side watching things because I don't think Caitlin's seen it all and the main character for that Asian dude it looked awesome uh, action was fantastic. I only got one episode into it. I'm going to continue myself, and it was fantastic. And they, the, that first episode made me want to watch the rest of them. It, uh, you know, I got sidetracked by Madoka Magica, but because of this podcast, uh, but it was one of You're those... You're welcome. Thank you. Um, and yeah, it was one of those things where, oh, you know, somebody, a story can be told without a white male heterosexual protagonist. It was an Asian male heterosexual protagonist but the point is um but the point is that you can these stories can be told and they should be given the chance to and oh yeah you're investing hundreds of millions of dollars into it but they've invested hundreds of millions of dollars into movies where the protagonist is not white and it worked so i don't i i that that argument kind of it falls short unfortunately not for the people holding the purse strings so this is what we got nerds and if the nerds really want to hit back, don't see it in theaters. There you go. Don't if see you it feel in... that strongly about it, don't you see it in know theaters. Don't pay your... for it. You know what your recourse is. Stay home. Stay home and let them see how it bombs. And that's the, that would be the... I mean, they did that to Dragon Ball. Bombed. It was also a crappy story. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't think that's they did just that... why Dragon Ball bombed. I, well, that's not the only reason Dragon Ball bombed, but yeah, it was it was the same thing. I mean, Superman Man of Steel was a better Dragon Ball story, but um, they did that with um, that uh, they butchered uh, Avatar, Last Airbender, and they could have just cast properly, but nope. And but then again, that was a, that was a terribly plotted movie. So yeah, I'm not even going to bother getting any convincing you all with that one. Well, her hair looked dope. Yeah, yeah, it did. I can't contest that. I got nothing. I got nothing to. They kept the hair. The hair looked good. I don't know. We'll see. I don't even think. I mean, listen. I don't think Ghost in the Shell is a sort of movie that should have been, or sort of property that should have been, rediluted into a. No, and and I think that's another part of uh, the the Western market is that to have any sort of legitimacy, it needs to be live action. I think that, I mean, Japan is a is a the like one of the beautiful things about the that. Um, the pop culture there is that you can have blockbuster animated movies that aren't for kids and it works over there that <laughs> they animation... have a 40 minute investigation into the nature of the self 
Yeah, exactly. Before shoot him up. Bingo. And so there's there's and I think that that Western audiences, I don't know if they'd get uh, an animated Ghost in a Shell like oh, it was a cartoon, it's for kids. And but I think that that uh, it didn't really need to be made. We shall see. Not cautiously optimistic about this one. Not even close. But not even close. But one never knows. Please, please prove us wrong, Hollywood. And again, if you don't like it, don't watch it and let it bomb. Let there you go. It you, bomb. You're allowed. You can do it. It is possible. And I think that is just going to about wrap it up for news this week. Unless Kayam has anything else that he would like to share? Nope. Okay. Nope. We will take a short break, and when we come back, Kayam and I will talk about the things that Kayam and I brought each other. We will be right back. Hey, Jordan, what, what, what'd you drink there? Oh, Kayam, this is delicious Geek Down ad space. Oh, those look good. It's can, so refreshing. Can, can, I, can I have a sip? No, Kayam. This is... Kayam. Stop, stop hogging. Give me... Kayam, this is for potential advertisers of the Geek sip. Down podcast, Kayam. This is for people... No, Kayam, this is for people who want to email us uh, at geekdownpod at gmail.com. No, Kayam. Oh. Kayam, no. Oh, God, Jesus. Now it's everywhere. Now <sighs> this ad is everywhere. Ready for you to scoop it up, friends. It's right here waiting for you. All right, I'm going to clean this up. I'll get some shiny soap. Shiny soap. Shiny soap. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the program. Uh, What you just heard was, could be all yours if you advertise with the Geek Down podcast. That's right, but don't uh, expect Jordan to share. No, absolutely not. Get at us, Audible. Gotta get those Audible dollars, Kai. Gotta get those Audible dollars. So, this is the point of the show that you are likely all here for. This is the moment where Kai and I have each brought things from our respective fandoms that the other likely did not encounter beforehand, and we will discuss what we thought of them. But before we do that, there are rules. Kai What's rule number one? Rule of three. The rule of three. Three episodes, three issues, or three... Three. Three installments. If it runs in parts... Yeah, that's that's what I meant. You have to watch three of them. Kayam, rule number two. Rule number two is you do not talk about this stuff off air and no tipping of the hand and i'm sure everybody thinks that's such a weird rule and that's so easy to do listeners i gotta tell you <laughs> this was a tough one because i had to scold kyam like 15 times this week i and and when i saw him he he punched me uh in the face dead in the mouth yeah because i it was so hard not to talk about reference points or even points of uh analysis uh without talking about the the Subject that we had brought to each other in the first place. Save it for the pod, Kaim. Save it for the pod. Rule number three, not so much a rule as a policy on spoilers. If they are relevant to the conversation, they will come up. This week, they will come up. 
Yeah. You have seen the title. You are know you know we are talking about a movie this week called Audition. Audition hinges on a spoiler. A shift in tone and mood that occurs two thirds through the movie and totally changes it. So if you don't want to know what that is, although you could look at the freaking movie poster of Audition and probably figure that out, you probably looked at the cover image for this episode and figured out what happens. So if you have a zero tolerance policy on spoilers, uh, check the show description. I will include a time code for where you need to skip. That will be coming a little later in the show. For now, we are going to begin by talking about the thing that Kayam brought me. Kayam, it was your one opportunity, your one spaghetti. You're one shot. You could have brought me anything in the world, Kayam, but you brought me this. Tell the people what you asked me to watch. Thundercats. Thunder, 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 thundercats. Uh, 2011 series. Uh, I have a very, I have a very uh, special relationship with uh, Thundercats. It was my introduction into all things sci-fi, fantasy geekiness was it yep this is your ground zero that is is, that was my that was the one thing that i had when i was uh when i was growing up and at at age four or five that was that was my thing i was just thundercats that was my jam and um had my lino toy it was awesome and then i lost it and then i bought another one when i was in high school so i'll basically say i've still had lino all these years (laughs) even though i haven't uh one thing i do have though is my introduction to comic books, which was a Marvel Star Comics Thundercats number six. Yeah, Star Comics, second week in a row. Star Comics gets that's a shout out. Yeah, that's right. And um, and and yeah, that was uh, Thundercats was my my basically my intro into all of this. And I've always it's always had a special place in in this geek's heart. And I thought when the 2011 series came out. I was uh, soups haps, and it was it was magical going back to that uh, that realm, and um, it was I, I gotta I gotta I have a few questions about this because there's the 1980s Thundercats and there's this new Thundercats series which is a very different uh, beast from the original one. Yes, uh, and they both have very different uh, plots. Uh, so yes. from from the get go. So Jordan, I gotta ask, do you remember the original Thundercats? Kyam. I had a lion toy. You do? I had a Mumra toy. You had Mumra. Kayam, I sent away for the mummy Mumra toy. You were probably old enough to know what that meant. You like put the took the UPCs or the box tops of some shit or something. That's I don't right, remember. kids. They had proof. You send your proof of purchases back in the day to the toy company. They would send you a toy. They'd send you a free toy, not free because you probably spent like seventy dollars and crap to get this. Making the finding those other plastic ones, but. Junk. But they would send you something for your loyalty. But I had it. That's incredible. Um, and yes, you, you neglected the most important point of the Thundercats toys. Uh, Lionel had that like battery thing that you stuck in his back and his, his eyes would glow. Yeah. And yeah. It, it was a ring that would fit on the child's finger. Yes. And as well, he had a lever on his back. And, to swing his sword of omens. And when you, when you pushed it, he would uh, flail wildly. Yeah, my dad uh, not a, not a real effective attack. He just kind of went like Ew. my my dad uh, my dad uh, decided to to pardon the pun toy around with my lino and uh, attached some wires to the nine volt battery and it kind of burnt out his eyes and I was very <laughs> sad. 
Uh, Mumra had the same thing, didn't he? Yes, didn't he Mumra did. Mumra, Mumra and Lionel were the only two, I believe, that that had that right. capability. Mumra also had the had the lever in the back that cut. They all, I think, had most moving of them parts did. of yes. some sort. Uh, Thundercats toys were awesome when you were a kid in the toy store. If you had a chance to get one, and your parents finally said yes, you would get one no matter what. I owned a Chitara. Nice. Nobody owned a Chitara. It was like Chitara or one of the Berserkers or or some like C character that that they were that were the only ones left. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap. I'm gonna have to pick one. I'm like, all right, I might as well pick a Thundercat. And I, <laughs> and I pick Chitara. Now that said, yes, I have. I have a strong recollection of Thundercats. It obviously meant something to me if I wanted all these toys. I what? could not tell you a single plot detail about that show or Be- anything. Because there it. weren't very many. <laughs> uh, it was a very... I mean, it was a 1980s cartoon for dumbass kids like us. Oh, and for comparison's sake, I watched the 85 pilot. Yes. And they were... Holy Jesus. And and I and I think that's an important point of reference. How to dumb make. did they think we were? We were pretty dumb because back in the day, that that was I always got so hyped. I'm like, they did it. They pulled it off. They won. And uh, I'm like, they how do they do this every week? These stories are amazing. And yeah, back in the day, it was the most basic storylines. And the whole point was to have these trite group laughs at the end where they would talk about morals and and ethics and stuff. It was sort of like a, you know, knowing is the half of battle kind of thing. And it worked back in the day. And nowadays you kind of look back at it and thought, damn, I was a dumbass kid. So in the 85 story, it was like, because reasons, the uh, population of Thundera, the home planet of the Thundercats, had to had to leave for whatever reason. The planet blew up. The, pl- the planet blew up, so the population made an exodus. Um, from yeah. And they get attacked. It's actually very similar to the uh, Transformers <laughs> pilot. Yes, yes, it, it. is. Um, they get attacked by their enemies, just mutants. Who are they? Where they from, come from? From the planet Pandar. Sure. They get attacked. They crash land on a new planet. There's like... No, not not completely true. They They basically... Their ship gets damaged, and they don't get to go to the planet they want to so they land on the third planet of this solar system that happens to be named earth <laughs> clearly i zoned out at that point yep they, they get Jogga clothes died, man they get clothes because they're wandering around naked at that point um they get clothes and weapons and there's six of them or like between six and eight i'm not going to count them off Kyle, count them off you know them all yeah it's uh lino panthro tigra wily kit wily cat chitara snarf jaga is technically dead dead uh and then later on in i think 1985 they introduced linkso bengali and oh, Pumira. you go far deeper than i was expecting yeah um but they said but they're gonna they're gonna start a new empire with the help one, of the friends one, that they make one female and one minor <laughs> they're just they're gonna repopulate the world good for them they um, believe they can do it and that's basically all you needed in 1985 to their credit the 2011 pilot, much more involved. Much deeper storyline. Um, 2011, they they basically took all of the the things that we loved about it, all those little uh, nostalgia points, and they fit it into an actual plot with an actual storyline with actual character development. <laughs> and they made it Lord of the Rings. Was it Lord of the Rings? Does, it's a quest it? narrative, right? It's, it's like they have to leave their home. And... Well, and and I think this is this is an interesting. Uh, this is the interesting point of of sort of observing Thundercats is that uh, guys like you and me, 
we knew Thundercats back in the day. So we, as we're watching it, we're kind of comparing it and sort of noticing where they plant these little Easter eggs from yesteryear. And then there's also, uh, we didn't have like sort of a blank slate when we were approaching this new Thundercats. So a lot of it, it was, there's, there's a fine line between nostalgia and, and just the quality of the show. So there's, there's about, I obviously have a bias. I'm going to watch anything Thundercats because it's Thundercats. <laughs> um, but had, had I not seen Thundercats before, I still believe that I would be interested in the show and would think, wow, this is an amazing series. Yeah, I definitely agree that the, if you just watch the pilot cold, not having any connection to the original show, it definitely is compelling enough to uh, catch your attention. First episode is technically a two-parter. Um, I watched four so you did. So you did keep keep it the three then? Technically three, yeah. Okay. Um, that two-part pilot was fantastic, and I thought it did start to spin its wheels in the ones that came after, where it just kind of became like a monster adventure of the week type thing. Okay. You'll notice that a lot of the comments I make are comparative to the 1980s series. It's hard not to separate it, uh, even though they are very separate. And so this series, yes, they do kind of a Monster of the Week thing because it is still aimed at kids. Yeah. But they still manage to progress, uh, I think, a deeper plot over over the, the course of the show. And they actually um, have larger story arcs that are embedded into these Monster of the Week type things. And I mean, in the pilot, I just, I really enjoyed the fact that it just felt like a lived in world. Like, yeah, they, they had a full society with like, you know, the games that they play. They have, they have like a festival and their games that they play, traditions that they have. It really felt like a lived in um, society. And like, there's like issues of class in there as well. That was a good one. Um, the hierarchy there's, like, of a animals. Do- there's, yeah, there's like a dog who like is in the. Is the kingdom called Thundera, the yep. city or whatever? Uh, they they never really clarified, but I mm. think it is just the kingdom of Thundera. There's like a dog that gets caught in an alley, and he's clearly about to get like beat up by some ragamuffs before uh, Lionel intervenes. The lizards are obviously looked on as like the lowest form of creature. Yeah, I like the things it was doing, playing with class and and things like that, and just the way it felt. Um, lived yeah, in even uh, yeah even Wily Kit and Wily Cat in this one rather than yeah. being twin nobles who are prepubescent they are actually street urchins and that was yeah, really are, really nice touch alley rats yeah and um did, did you say alley rats or alley cats sure either or okay yeah and it's it and that's the thing they take these uh, like i mean once upon a time the story was that they have to do stuff because thundera blew up and they needed a new home and mumra showed up that that's pretty much it this series they dig deeper into like in the in the episodes that come right after literally two or three episodes right after they actually dig much deeper into Mumro's backstory and show why he wants the sword the the eye of thundera which is embedded in the hilt of the sword of omens instead of power so <laughs> they actually look back and the thundercats their past and their ancestrage it, and is that a word? Ancestrage, ancestry, ancestry. Their ancestry is not as clean uh, as as we would think, and we find out that Lino's ancestors are connected to Mumra, which is kind of teased in the scene in the pilot where the uh, the lizards are in oh, what's that thing called? The guillotine, barracks, horrocks. Uh, was it the thing that the the thing that? 
the thing that holds. goes over your wrists and your head. Yeah, that locks thing. The, the three holes and then... Caitlin is screaming at the she The, the one thing right that now. she remembers when she's usually saying, you know, the thing. So, Caitlin, <laughs> oh in your, we're, we're forgetting things Shot. in your spirit. Shots fired. Oh, my God. <laughs> she would know this. She would know this. Battle um, between hosts that aren't me. Uh, no, I mean, she forgets things all the time. I think we're carrying on in her tradition, so it's it's an homage, really. It's an homage. Uh, but yes, the lizards, uh, the lizard prisoners uh, imply heavily to Lionel that the uh, the noble history of the Thundercats that they all believe is maybe not what the actual history is. Yeah. And, and that intrigued me a lot, too, which is why I was kind of bummed out when, like, the third episode was like, Pirates! Yeah, and that was kind of a monster. Was plant kids. The plant kids were so cute. Yeah, they were all right. Spoiler: the, that, that episode, episode four, you get into, a, you know, what does it mean to have a lifetime and and do things and make connections and death. Like the, the little plant kids go through their whole lives in like span, a span of a of day. Hour. Yeah, span of like twelve hours. And it's just you see this one little character grow up in the blink of an episode. And and then Lino loses a friend as quickly as he's made one, and it and it's does deep shit for like kids <laughs> cartoon, and yeah, it was, uh, and that's the thing they they get into these things um, as as the episodes progress. Jordan, what did you think of the art style? Uh, definitely liked it. I mean, like most, I mean, obviously I liked it. Like most cartoons done post Sailor Moon Pokemon, it has a heavily uh, anime feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to know what the all caps note? Here in my notebook is? Yes, I do. Snarf doesn't talk, thank Christ. Yes, he does not. Or should I have said no, he does not? <laughs> Whatever. Either Snarf work. keeps his goddamn mouth shut. If you've never seen the 1985 Thundercats... I know! Snarf! Snarf is the, uh, the mascot that's supposed to appeal to the children, I guess, and he's the cowardly, he, sniveling, comic relief type thing, and which his is, name is Snarf... And, and he says snarf all the time. So Proto like, Pokemon. You watch the first pilot episode and it's like, you know, if anything goes wrong, you know who's going to get blamed. It's me, old yeah, snarf. Poor old snarf. It's fucking brutal. You want him to die. When snarf all shows the time. up in the first episode and he's just like a cat, like he doesn't say anything, he's actually Lionel's pet, I was like, oh, you just, that's obviously this show is amazing because you recognized. The yeah, one horrible they, they thing left out. It. They they really left out a lot of the crap. Production note: uh, one of the uh, producers of the Avatar Airbender series was one of the um, one of the people kind of pushing the show and guiding the show. So, um, for any Avatar fans, by all means, check it out because it has a similar flavor of competency in storytelling and not dumbing things down. I'd say that's probably a good word for it. Is just competent. It. It scratched that awesome in the first two. The second two, I was less. The second two I saw, I was less impressed by. Um, but they were competent. They weren't bad. They were just not as high stakes. Didn't really move the plot along as much. I mean, yeah, it's about Lionel learning how to be a leader or a king or whatever. The lessons he's learning as he gets in these situations and meets different people. Yeah, which in the original show he learned in a week. Yeah. He he learned as soon as he came out. Literally of the... literally learned in a week long special. <laughs> I do like how they tweaked the brother relationship. And that kind of like thrown out really quick uh like plot point about like 
Tigra being like the bastard son? Who's like... I think he might have been adopted. Okay. I think he might have been adopted, but Lino in, in the series like, Lino you and been Tigra. Gr- you would have been a great king, Tigra, yes, but it has to go to the bloodline. I'm like, is he just like the bastard son yeah, of the king? Yeah, like... he's the Jon Snow of uh, he's the Jon Snow yeah, of this that's, show. that's exactly and, what um, I thought. And yeah, the, the, that's the thing. The characters all much, much deeper in terms of their backstories and um, their their people. They actually have motivations aside from, you're our leader, Lino. We'll follow you, whatever your stupid decisions are. Um, I like how they tweaked Chitara. What do they call? What are they called? The clerics. Clerics. So her speed comes from her ability to wield magic. Um, and that scene when they showed up in the battle where the city's getting attacked was yeah, really, was really was well directed and well animated. Pretty awesome. Um, obviously, I'm going to keep watching at least a couple episodes because they finally brought Panthero back. Yeah, so you got to yeah. That was gonna be my like, next question. Did you get to the introduction of Panthero? Like my whole. <laughs> I was watching the first couple episodes at work with uh with stupid Matt. And <laughs> Matt, I'm sorry, I don't know you, but I'm gonna laugh at it's that. It's his name. And that was the thing I just kept asking the whole time. I was like, "Where the fuck? Where's Panthro, Matt? Wither Panthro?" And he, when he's introduced, they drop one of the biggest hardcore fan Easter eggs uh, of possibly the entire series. And so, Jordan, have you? And this is the thing. This was this is the hard part of the uh, second rule of the Geek Down, which is you can't talk about it. But I was desperate to ask Jordan if he had heard of the Thundercat outtakes that have been floating around the internet oh for my so god. long. Yes. I, well, fuck. I saw them years ago. Right. And oh my so god. For Did they those, nod to that? They nodded to oh that. Oh my god. And so, so a little background information. Um, back go, in, go YouTube Thundercat outtakes. Yes. There's do like that. a bootleg video. Of... It's not a video. It's basically just sound reels that text kept uh, to you know to show off to their friends at their Christmas parties, and eventually one of them learned about the internet and put some of these outtakes. So you get to hear Lino and Tigra and Mumra saying some pretty foul things. It's, it's the 1985 cast, yes, yeah, screwing up and swearing and cracking jokes with each other. And yes, I definitely remember the first time I saw it. I nearly wet myself laughing. Yes, and so I, I, you know, back in the day when you were downloading songs from Napster for, you know, an hour, I got a techno mix of that. Giving your computer the clap just to get a free, pretty uh, much, get a free song, pretty much. And so, um, and so, yes, there's this one great, great outtake where Lino is reading one of his lines, or the the actor who's playing Lino is reading his lines, and he's like. Uh, no, sorry, it's Panthro, and he's basically reading his line. He's like, and help me get that samoflange. <laughs> what the fuck is a samoflange? Which is what Lino responds. So you basically get this. There's been this sort of, I used to write samoflange on everything. And so they actually gave a little nod to that in the Panthro episode, which was uh, Lino's talking to Panthro. He's like, Panthro's fixing the new Thunder Tank, and he's like... Oh, is that, is that episode it, five? I didn't yeah, get there Yeah, and so he's just, he's just like... Um, he says, you know, I've dealt with a little tech. I can help you out. He's like, you're standing on my samoflange. That's amazing. And and two minutes, like, not even 30 seconds later, Tiger turns to Chitar and says, what's a samoflange? <laughs> and it was... And it was... At that moment... I didn't care what else happened in the show. <laughs> I I thought this is a winner. They they know enough to drop these tiny little Easter eggs in there, and it it was just a magical moment for so many fans. But that's that's how invested they were in 
uh, appealing to the nostalgia side without really going out of the way and killing the story in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And so, so you get a little bit of these. Like last week, I remember uh, last episode, and y'all should listen to that one. Uh, Jordan brought up. Um, he made a note about you know watching the Thundercats and and Silverhawks and Tiger Sharks. <laughs> both shows, both of those latter shows, also referenced in this one. And they are all owned by the same studio, they're all, right? and they're pretty much all had the same voice actors, and it was pretty much the same template <laughs> in same, different same plot, same plot, same template, just different. Uh, same voice actors, just different uh, scenarios. And the, the, the Silverhawks had a cowboy named Bluegrass, who's voiced by the fellow who did Lino. He shot, he shot music notes with a metal guitar. That's right. And his main villain was a fellow who had. Oh no, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the fellow with the giant tuning fork. It was. It was a girl with a guitar. It was it? a g- girl with a guitar, and they would they would basically jam <laughs> and fight out in outer space. How <laughs> rad is that? <laughs> The girl looked like she came out of gem. She really it was did. crazy. Um, but yeah, there was there's these little Easter eggs planted, and you get to see uh, Monstar, and you get to see the tiger sharks, and <laughs> you get to see, and there are all these little planted things. And I'm, I'm don't even know if I caught all of them over the over the twenty something episodes that they had. And it only ran the one season. Sadly, I th- I personally believe that um, this show suffered the same fate or similar fate to what um, Young Justice did and hmm. that the creators were banking on the nostalgia market to hit as hard. And as much as I loved this show, I couldn't drop $24 in some sense, Canadian dollars, uh, on a piece of plastic for my love of this show once upon a time because, you know, economy. <laughs> um, but... And I think that was that was part of it that um, they they couldn't get that toy revenue back. And did it tell did the twenty eleven one season uh, get to a whole complete story arc? They yeah, I think they. I have the Blu rays at home, and I've seen all the episodes, and um, I think they got through a major story arc, uh, and they got to the second part. I think they they they're basically hunting gems similar to the Eye of Thundera, and I think they may have got one. I think they got to the second one, but they didn't quite get there. And while this, these hunts are going on, they're also discovering uh, a bit more about themselves and a bit more about uh, the planet they live on and where the Thundercats or, or the cat people uh, stand uh, in the eyes of, um, of, the, of the other races on the planet. It's, it's really interesting uh, dynamics there that they play out. A lot of character development and a lot of and there's you know spoiler alert there's there's a bit of backstabbery, backstabbery. Oh yeah, good heavens. Oh yeah, backstabbery and it's uh and but for the most part and it's also a joy to watch because the designs for so many of the things that they bring up and the redesigns of everything, the look of the show, it looks like you know one of those RPG games um, from the nineties. You know those anime RPG games that they had that I'd never played, but always <laughs> thought looked awesome. I think that comes from one of the um, art directors who was a fellow who worked on, I think, some handful of anime shows. If you're wondering if I know a name or which shows, I don't. Go look at Wikipedia. Kime doesn't do that much research. Jordan, what is your rating in kick punch form? One being the lowest of kick punches, ten being the highest of kick punches. 
I would give Thundercats seven kick punches. That is a little surprising. I thought I, I was getting a kind of cold feeling from your resistance to it earlier. I don't know that I would call it resistance. Um, I was very impressed by the standard set by the first two episodes. It did mm. a really good job on those two. I was a little let down by the subsequent ones. Uh, I watched them very distractedly. They didn't really keep my interest. The Return of Panthro made me pay more attention. I haven't had a chance to watch any since. If you're telling me that there are things like referencing a Samoflange and... Samoflange! <laughs> ...and jokes like that, I'm more inclined to give it the look when, like, I'm bored and I can't find anything else to watch. <laughs> well, there's a standard. I don't... It's not going to be the, like, active, like, man, I want to go home and watch some Thundercats. But, okay, like, okay. But, like, if there's nothing else that I can think of that I want to watch or I just want something quick, 20 minutes, that I can watch and enjoy, I'll be like... I mean, I'll watch the Thundercats. I was actually surprised you went with this instead of Avatar, to be honest. But uh, for, Yes, for the record, I would have pushed Avatar, but I feel like Caitlyn is, is uh, that's her golden turkey. She needs to be that present she's for gonna, that. Yeah, she's going to have to. I mean, I've watched the series twice. I've, uh, you know, I've been part of the fandom. I've actually... So it's one of those things where I've actually bothered to comment about it on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> that's how much, you know, when questions come up. So, yeah, I love Avatar. If you'll have me back for that conversation, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to be back for that one. Korra as well, because if you're going to watch Avatar, you're going to watch Korra. Uh, uh, apparently. It's just um, this going to happen. So, yeah, I was thinking of that, but I thought Thundercats because... This is one of those sections of geekdom that I don't think would have naturally come up uh, for you or Caitlin. So I thought... Probably not, no. Yeah, so I thought I'd, I'd bring something in from the outside. Well, you did. It was a solid pick, Kai. Yeah! Snurf! <laughs> All right! Snurf! 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 Moving on to possibly the furthest thing on the nerd spectrum that you can get from Thundercats. Yes. I brought Kyle <laughs> yeah. this week the only thing to ever be flat out rejected in Geek Down history. Caitlin McKinnon likes to talk a whole lot about how she likes gore, and when we finished an episode one week, I was scanning my DVDs and thought to myself, oh, Caitlin likes gore, maybe she'll want to check this out. And I handed her the DVD, she read the back of the case, looked me dead in the eye, faintly shook her head and handed the dvd back to me great big pile of nope nope so i thought i'll give it to kyan well if there's anything i can help fill in for it's rejected geek down <laughs> it's, it's shit that nominations Caitlin did not want to watch yep and i'm guessing uh if jordan leaves the keys we can uh set things up and have a jordanless episode when he refuses to watch something and maybe out of town yeah maybe possibly for a concert <laughs> Good point. So, this goes back from my days as a... I don't even know how I even got into J-Horror. Probably The Ring and The Grudge, and when they all hit, and because I'm that guy, I was like, I want to watch the originals. So I watched Ringu and Juon, and found sites like Midnight Eye and Snowblood Apple, which are sites about Japanese cinema and extreme Japanese cinema, respectively. And I started hearing about all these titles, and I heard a name in there that came up repeatedly of a director named Takashi Miike. Takashi Miike is a very prolific director. The item I gave Kayam was his 35th film in nine years. Good God. Hey, man's got to eat. Good 
God, that's a Bollywood statistic. It is a movie that is based on a novel by Ryu Murakami, who is, if you need context, he's probably like Japan's Chuck Palahniuk. This is a film that starts as one thing and becomes something completely other. Some people say it's feminist. Some people say it's misogynist. Everyone says it's gross. It's audition. <laughs> and what's the Japanese name, Jordan? Because you can pronounce this stuff better than I possibly I believe it's could. just audition. Okay, then. This is a story of a widower whose wife has passed away, and he has been mourning. Uh, he's raising his son on his own, and his son For is like now... seven years? His son is now college age, and suggests to his father that, you know, maybe it's time to remarry. Maybe it's time to get back out there. Uh, however, our widower feels that he is too old to really get out there and play the field, and he's very frustrated by this. And a friend of his suggests because he owns a does he own a production company is that what works they do at a, he's a high-end product the big shot at they, a production they work company. in video production of some sort and his friend suggests oh, why don't we just hold an audition we'll just hold a fake audition you get all these women in one place which is remarkable because the guy even rate like there's even a radio commercial for it from like wow this guy like helped out his bro and put out a radio ad <laughs> for a fake audition just so his bro could you know, find somebody to hook up with. That's that's true brodom right there. So our, uh, I just want to get the names right. So yes, our widower is named Aoyama, and he is kind of off-put by this whole project. He's a little uncomfortable about it until he sees Asami, who he decides is the one. He is completely enchanted with her from the moment he sees her, decides she's the one, even though his friend is kind of like, I don't know, she seemed a little off. Her reference wasn't really... The reference didn't come through. She's not a real person. She doesn't. Her references don't check out. There's no address. Aoyama makes sense. Not having it. He is just like, nah, man. She's she's awesome, and she's she's cute. She's you know she's got a good handle on life with her whole. um, When your dreams die, it's like accepting death. So I'm cool with that. So he's just like, nah, she's got a cool emo vibe. I'm I'm down. So they start going on dates. Yes, or to dinner, and things become clear very quickly that Asami is not everything Aoyama wants her to be. So before we get into no. the details of that, hey Kai, hey Jordan, what'd you think of audition? It was okay. <laughs> it was okay. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe you said you had to go for a long walk after you watched it. I did. I did because it, it was one of those screenings where after you watch it, you kind of got to let it set in to ask yourself the question, what did I just watch? So, key moments from the film that everyone remembers, and this is where the spoilers really start to kick in. So, Oh, uh, I, I do got to say, hmm. um, first off, yeah, Caitlin, I I took a bullet for you. This was so. This is a very. If you aren't as very bizarre psychological thrillers, if you if you want to uh, really savor the unexpected and the grotesque, definitely, uh, definitely, you know, probably going to be a film for you. You're definitely going to not want to have these spoilers. Y'all been warned. Very warned. So, as Aoyama decides if he is going to call Asami, occasionally you will see Asami waiting for 
Aoyama's call. Just sitting like a broken marionette with a bag. Sitting hunched over in her dilapidated apartment with in a... front of a rotary phone with a giant bag in the corner. Just a big bag. Until the point where he finally calls and she slightly tilts her head up, her hair hanging in her face in that classic J-horror pose. And a creepy smile comes Gives out the most from... creepy smile in the world. And then the bag rolls over and makes a howling growl it noise. Just, it just moves as like like something broke inside of it. So you as the viewer know, oh my god, shit ain't right. She crazy pants. Aoyama has no idea. Happily trotting along. This is the girl for me. This is the woman I'm going to marry. They go on a few dates. They go to they go away for the weekend, I believe. Good move on Aoyama's part. Yeah, go away for the weekend. And Asami starts to reveal a few things about herself. She uh, shows some some scars that she has on her thighs. Not not just physical scars. Uh, she she shares parts of herself, uh, emotional parts of herself. Uh, shows those scars, and that's that's you know in real life. Yeah, people are a bit damaged. People have scars. Ain't nothing wrong with that. And in the key moment, Asami asks Aoyama if he promises to love no one but her, and Aoyama. Possibly because he means it. Possibly because he wants that ass. Says yes. And then, will they... you love me? Yes. Only me. Yes. Forever. Yes. Just me. Yes. Forever and, then... and ever and ever. And then they share a beautiful night of lovemaking, and Aoyama wakes up and she is gone. Gone. Ghosted. And the movie then shifts. And and at that point you wonder, was she ever even there? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, because Mike will uh, put in strange dream sequences where Aoyama is seeing his, his dead wife. Now, Jordan, in, yes. in terms of the structuring of this of this program, do you want me to tell you what I was thinking at these points? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, at, at this point in the movie, I didn't know... Um, I didn't know whether I was watching... Because I went into this completely blank. I did not read too much into it i just saw oh okay horror movie japanese it's gonna be something psychological there's gonna be some psychological bits to it um i didn't know if i was watching something with a demon or watching something or or what it was because you know there was that whole bag thing it was just sitting there in the corner um and so i didn't know if she was real or not i didn't know if she was a demon i didn't know if she was a ghost it does kind of play with that i mean the bag thing comes up later uh so aoyama begins to search for Asami and against basically, his good friend's recommendation that he should just stop just and leave it alone. Cut your losses. Get over it, bro. But Aoyama keeps looking, convinced that she's the one, quickly discovering that yeah, basically everything he thought he knew about her was a lie or not what she said it was. The manager at the bar she said she worked at had been murdered and chopped into pieces. With an extra three fingers ear and a tongue. There. Yes, when they when they found the pieces, when they were collecting the pieces of the uh, murdered manager, they found extra body parts. Bonus pieces. Um, something else. Something and else she had mentioned was like he someone he had disappeared. Yeah, and I and I gotta say, at this point, I was really loving the cinematography of the movie. Um, there's just 
the first third of it, it was pretty slow-paced, uh, but the cinematography was very great in terms of presenting this atmosphere of eeriness, uncomfortable eeriness. Yeah, and deliberately slow-paced because yeah. it's lulling you into... It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's lulling you into this, like, this yeah. is a weird rom-com. But... And, and when it starts getting into... Um, when it starts getting into this... You think it's supernatural. The you know the lighting changes, the angles change, and uh, there's almost a cartoonish element to the way it's filmed in in a surreal in a real surreal sort of way. It gave you the same sense when you go into a witch's labyrinth from Madoka Magica. <laughs> You're just uncomfortable with it. Call back. So yes, as Aoama is on his search, uh, doing that thing again where the viewer knows what's happening, but the characters don't, there's a sequence shot from a POV perspective of someone in Aoyama's house who is walking around, it's clearly Asami, who comes across pictures of Aoyama's son and dead wife, which, to Asami's mind, means no, he's not going to love her and only her. That's right, because when you say that you are going to love somebody and only them forever and ever that means you have to cut out everybody from your life it's a whole hundred percent that means you have to get rid of yet that son that you raised for seven years on your own <laughs> no questions asked so then asami drugs Ayama's whiskey and goes on to leaves to plot hilarity Ayama comes home bewildered from what he has discovered in his search has a glass of whiskey and passes out has a series of horrific visions that include what's in the bag in asami's apartment yeah and and at this point we I, don't know if that's actually what it was we don't even know if the bag really existed like who knows well that's the thing at this point um because at the end of that sequence he wakes up Yes. Uh, he wakes up back in the hotel room with her, and she has never gone in the first place. Yeah. So it was this great... For some, it's going to be a great moment of disorientation where you're just as creeped out as Ayama, who doesn't know where he is, and much like him as a viewer, you don't know what's going on or where you are in the in this kind of frenzy of events. And so that kind of got... That kind of got old for me. I was just like, wait, wait, what? No? Dream <laughs> sequence? No, you can't. That's, that's such a cop-out. And, yeah, I didn't know where that was going. Uh, I will say that dream sequence includes the best part of the film, which is, to my mind, which is where the person in the bag, who is a oh, man... Oh, so messed up. ...missing all of the pieces... So messed ...found up. in the bar, uh, crawls out of the bag, and uh, Asami goes to feed him by vomiting into a dog bowl... And puts it on the ground for this man to eat. <laughs> and this, um, I don't know what to call this person, this tongueless person with uh, one hand that only has a middle and thumb, middle finger and thumb, uh, happily gobbles it up. Basically, I think that tries to mumble the words yummy <laughs> and uh, is drinking this milky substance with a few chunks <laughs> okay. in it. Okay. And and mind you, at that point, um, and it is very, it's a very visceral, very graphic scene where... You see her off camera, but you get to hear the horking, not the horking, the, the you know, she puts sound, her tooth. Sound is used very effectively oh, in this movie. Oh, very effectively. Because and a lot of the grossest stuff, which is still to come, friends, you don't actually see. No. And, you hear it. And when you hear somebody vomiting, it was, yeah, at that point I was just like, oh, this is, yeah, that's, this is, you know, that's a reaction. And it was, I was just like, oh, this, I'm feeling, I don't know what to feel right now. 
Somebody so after, just threw up. Oh, she's doing it in a bowl. Oh, she's she's opening the bag and somebody is going to be eating it happily. Okay, I'm going to have to like go the, for a walk I feel after like the this. The question when we finish the synopsis is what kind of thought of me after he finished watching this movie. No, I I uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that question. So then after this series of hallucinations, Aoyama wakes up. He is paralyzed but conscious and aware uh on the floor of his den. Asami is now uh, decked out in a rubber apron and gloves yep. and proceeds to stick him with needles, chop off his foot. Uh, yeah, with razor, is... with razor wire. Yeah. Oh, no, um, I thought it was piano wire. It may have been piano wire. Uh, yeah, I thought it was piano wire. Um, again, you want to talk about sound? You don't see any of this act. You hear it all. Yeah. Um, I got to say... F- very well. Sound direction was very well done. And the nice detail of her bracing her foot at one point as she's delightfully doing this. It's worth noting that as she's performing all these horrific acts, she's going... She's just like smiling, and you get to see this very um, this very creepy smile, like real pure joy smile. And, um, and it's like she was smiling as though she was performing at, you know, a Tokyo Dome with two friends after a long, hard... <laughs> Uh, journey don't, to don't you dare <laughs> don't you dare bring the queens into this okay uh, um, that's sacred territory I shouldn't have gone there but 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 the thing about that whole scene that plays at the end is he she, gets needles she in his does, eyes she gets needles in his eyes and she does let it be known that she knew the audition was fake yeah and um and well she the thing knew is what no, type of man he was I I I question that because did she know that the audition was fake or did she just think he was a creep for calling her after getting her information via the audition? It might have been both. So it, been it, it's kind of I, – I thought it was kind of up in the air about that because um, it seemed like she had a hate on for guys who would – what's the term the young people's use? Yeah, she kind of had her hate on for fuckboys. So <laughs> she did not – she was very disappointed – uh, in him for loving his son, which unfairly, I think, put him in that category. Mm. Yeah, so this, I mean, we'll save the ending ending for how it ultimately plays out for anybody who does decide they want to watch this very interesting film. Yeah. Uh, which which had people walk out at film festivals. I'm kind of not surprised. People were like, peace out. And it begs the question, and I don't know that either of us are qualified to really answer it, of is this a feminist or a misogynist film? Or is it either? I, I, I don't know. And, I mean, like, one of the points at the beginning was I thought the fact that they were holding auditions just to, just to meet women. I thought, wow, that's really shitty. But then again, I'm brown, and our people do that sort of stuff all the time. <laughs> so it was kind of like, yeah, that's just Tuesday. Uh, so, yeah, they're like, not all brown people do it to that extent, but some do. It's kind i personally you know not not really there myself um but yeah it's it's kind of a cultural thing and i was just like oh yeah some cultures do this they literally hold auditions or they have they have what we call bio data sheets where you know you have a person's age your picture and it's literally like holding an audition you you have a, you know a resume of talents and likes and dislikes and they try to match people up <laughs> yeah. um so for me, culturally watching that, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, some of us do that. 
that's a thing. <laughs> Don't think it's a good thing personally, but I was kind of that was just kind of shrugged my shoulders at this. I thought I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, Caitlin would have hated the shit out of this moment. Oh yeah, probably. Um, she would have been pissed off at you, Jordan, for making her watch this. Um, but yeah, she says she likes gore. Uh, and yeah, no, and that's the thing. This is I can see. I yeah, I guess there are there are misogynistic elements in it. There are um feminist elements in it possibly. Depends on how hard you want to read into it, really. Mm. I think I think those elements in this film the abstraction of this film or the abstract quality of this film allows for the viewer to read into it a lot of uh, a lot of what they wouldn't be able to do in a typical rom-com. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I personally don't know that the movie holds can bear the weight of either sort of philosophical reading. I um, mean, yeah. I mean, like if people want to call it misogynistic, possibly because um, you know it's just saying that all women are crazy. And, yeah, and the first half all, of the movie involves two dudes corralling pretty, a bunch of women like cattle to show. Their yeah, pretty and, much. And so that like that's a thing. So yeah, of course you can read into it that way. Is it a commentary on society? I don't, I, I don't know. I think ultimately what it is, and a lot of Mike's movies deal with this sort of subject, because I've seen a lot of them. I probably, at this point, if you did 35 in nine years, it's probably been 10 since I saw since I last saw a Mike movie. He's probably put out 100 since then. <laughs> he always tends to focus on rootless people, like people who are just kind of like free-floating in society, whatever... Yeah, that however, was, that rootlessness manifests. Yeah, that was one of the things that I noticed about uh, the two main characters was that they um, they they really had the sense of being lost, and it was it was sort of this slow motion train wreck of how they ran into each other, or car wreck of how they kind of ran into each other. Hilarity did not ensue. No, and 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 yeah. So throughout the film, I was trying to keep that in mind while while appreciating the visuals. And it just sort of um it was it was an awkward experience, and the characters were themselves were awkward. I mean, this guy doesn't even have the chops to go out and talk to another person. He has to have his friend make auditions, so on the one hand, you can feel bad for him for being so awkward on the other hand, you kind of think, boy, that's shitty of him to do mm-hmm. and but it all chalks up to how ridiculously awkward all these people are. And that's what, yeah, that's really what, really what I think the movie plays at is just the, it's a really nihilistic argument, or thesis, it's just that you you can never know another person. Yeah, if that was the point of the movie, if I knew that would, if I knew that going into it, I would have said, oh, this movie gets it. (laughs) Um, I did not know that. And I was and that's just, just that's just that's just my take on it. Yeah, um, and that 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 totally makes sense now. I was just seeing, I was just witnessing these very broken people who did not know how to navigate through making, you know, to making connections with other human beings, mm-hmm. um, just sort of messing with each other in ways. There was a point where he legitimately was very much in love with this young lady, absolutely, and he and he was very happy to find her, and he wanted to treat her right how he went about finding her, eh, maybe not the best way. Um, and how she kind of reacted to him loving his son, maybe a little bit overboard. Maybe a little bit overboard. Just a teensy bit. 
and, and this might this might speak to my personal biases of movie sensibilities. It wasn't something that popped out immediately for me. It's something that I had to actually think about and let it sink in to sort of get it because throughout a lot of the film, I just uh, there were scenes where I'm just like, am I not getting this? Am I? Wh- where is this going? What What is this movie trying to be? What is it trying to represent? Is it a horror? Is it a demon pick? Is it you know a kind of haunted spirit thing? What is going on? So for a lot of it, I was kind of too lost in those nuances to appreciate the the characters themselves and what they represented. It sounds like a ridiculous statement of the ones i've seen at any rate this is one of his subtler movies good god j-horror is like the red-headed stepchild of my fandoms um what it, it was like because it was one like i said i can't even remember how it came about or how i got into this but it was like it was like a hot fast and furious like two years where i was just like yeah um and this you probably you probably got into it while they were coming out and while they were pretty fresh, and I can and I can think back to my 2000 self, and had I seen it either then or within the you know uh, my four years of undergrad around around that time when all these movies were coming out, I would have I would have probably frothed at the mouth at this. I would oh, have been like, and I don't think I have the palate for this anymore. It is worth saying. Yeah, I um, uh, right now I'm uh, like back then. In those days, if had we known each other and you would have said, hey, check out this movie, I would have been like, damn, this thing is crazy. I don't know what it was trying to be, and this is so edgy. And yeah. now I'm just kind of like, okay, it's a movie. Of the movies of his that I really liked, there was like this one, Ichi the Killer, which was just loaded with brutality against women and rape scenes and people getting sliced in half vertically and faces getting cut off and once upon a time I would have loved that stuff and visitor Q which featured um, incest necrophilia lactating and this was a family values comedy yeah I think I think at the time like in my early 20s it was like an endurance test for me one I couldn't believe (laughs) I couldn't believe the shit they got away with yeah. Like I was just like, how how is anybody letting him do this? Yeah. And it was also an endurance test. But I do also know where my like clear demarcation that I was no longer into it, which was a movie called Machine Girl, which was like came out in like aught six and uh-huh. was arms cut off, arm tempora, she gets a gun put on her arm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's where Robert Rodriguez got it for uh Planet Death. <laughs> Maybe. Um and that movie Machine I'm, Gun Leg. I remember watching that movie and just thinking like, Oh, this is like the J horror movie made for people in the West. Oh, like you are okay. you yeah. are trying to you are trying to appeal to me and it just looks low budget and schlocky and well, like that's what it was meant to be. But yeah, I definitely don't know that I have the palette for it anymore. Of yeah. of all that types of movie of those types of movies, I think Audition is the one that I might still be able to tolerate. I do think it's the most interesting one. And topical BuzzFeed recently put out their, I posted it on the Facebook group, That's their, right. uh, That's right. their community vote of the uh, most fucked up horror movies. Audition came in number two. Only beat I out, did that for you, Caitlin. Only beat out by House of a Thousand Corpses. So, All hey, right. if you uh, like fucked up, maybe check out Audition. I did that for you, Caitlin. Kick you're, punches, you're Kyle. You're welcome. Kick punches? Uh... <laughs> it's almost... <laughs> It's almost beyond kick punches. Like I don't even know how, how do you kick how do you kick punch audition? Um 
you know, with one of the kicks being chopped off and replaced with a punch. <laughs> I don't know. One uh, of the kicks sawed off with piano wire. Yeah. Um, I I gotta have to give this a five. <laughs> it's, just, it's still a pass. It's still yeah. It's a pass because there's there's a um, there are nuances to the to the movie making, the quality of the film itself. Uh, I say it loses huge points in plot because it's so um because it's so kind of all over the place you can't it's hard to tell what the film is trying to be or what you know what genre it's trying to be um right from the get go so it's hard to sort of latch on to a certain mood or a certain mindset as you're watching it you know it was it wasn't an obvious horror movie it was a psychological horror movie i wish i kind of wish i had known that going in cuz Halfway through, I didn't know if I was expecting a ghost or a demon or something, like Ringu style, or if it was going to be, um, you know, I didn't know what the hell it was going to be. And then at the end, there's this, this massive spike of gore that just seemed out of place <laughs> with the rest of the movie. And it kinda, I'm kind of like, I was just scratching my head thinking, ah, oh, that's the way they're going to go with that. Okay. And and I kind of thought, hmm, if, if this was 2000 me, then, yeah, I probably would have been frothing at the mouth and gorged all of his material. But at this, currently, I gotta give it a, gotta give it a five. So if you're a young buck with a strong stomach, maybe check it out. Yeah, if you're if you're an undergrad and you are just, you want to do watch something weird, yeah, you this wanna, is for you. You want to test yourself? Go ahead. If you're a... Have an evening of fine culture, foreign films. <laughs> foreign films. Foreign films, culture. If you've, uh, if you've... If you're an old fart who's gone soft like me and Kaim. It's, yeah, if you really want to make sure you get your bang for your buck in viewing hours, I don't think this is going to be for you. That said, if if you want to experience a Mike movie, he has since gone on to do delightful children's films like The Great Yokai War. So go check that out. I don't even out. know what to say to that. <laughs> um, that and he made a superhero movie called Zebra Man. That's, you know what, that's like... The people involved with Hannibal Lecter directing an episode of Sesame Street to me—that is no, not Hannibal. It has to, that's like the people who produced the Saw deciding, you know what? <laughs> let's try to pitch. Uh, let's try to do a Jim Henson movie. We're gonna uh, that door, door the Explorer live action. I think we're I think we're suited for that. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what that sounds like to me. Like, okay, that's really disturbing, but. One thing I do got to say about the movie is that it does not uh, incorporate a lot of, and I don't know if this is a thing with Japanese movies, but it does not incorporate a lot of theatrical scoring. There was not, it was one of the notes that I made was that, huh, this movie has eerily been quiet. A lot, and, of, ja- a lot of Japanese movies, and J-horror in general, that's always a big thing Okay, with there's, a, there's a few moments where they have a little bit of music, but they're not uh, and this is the thing that um, that a lot of Western movies uh, do is that they fill in space with with music. Yeah, so yeah, you're not music. sitting in an uncomfortable silence. You're getting the uh, an emotional narrative told through sound in the background. Not something that you get into this, uh, that you get with this film. And you have to sit with eerie silences and dead background uh, noises. And mm-hmm. and it's that it, it really added to the atmosphere of creepiness. So if you really want to see a movie that will creep you out and keep you up till two in the morning for sure uh and if you're not a horror movie person and you want to still watch this watch it at two a two o'clock in the afternoon on a bright (laughs) sunny day with all the windows open 
and you'll do fine. And stay off online dating for a while. So that, I think, is almost going to wrap us up on the weirdest episode of Geek Down <laughs> that will probably ever exist. I'm happy to have been a part of that. Uh, I think it could only happen with you. Yay! Uh, hooray! Do we have any updates? Kayam, I feel like you have an update. Uh, I'm very excited to share that I that uh, the Geek Down had, uh, had inspired me to watch Madoka Magica. So cheers to the power of the Geek Down for getting somebody to watch something that they talked about and skip. You watched it fast. I <laughs> plowed through that in one sitting, all 12 episodes. Well, I was sculpting a mug. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, so yeah, I. So we know what Caitlin thought of Madoka Magica. Hey Kai, what'd you think of Madoka Magica? This is like the spirit animal for the show now. Uh, the fact that I that I sat through all twelve episodes in one sitting that doesn't say That's enough. That's about um, all we need to know. Uh, so yeah, I'm conflicted about the art style of the series, um, and that's something I think that's that sort of my art brain can can bring to the mm. rating um, that you guys might not care about that much. It and I think it has its place because it's there to show off the cutesy-poo side of these magical girl shows. So it has a purpose. It's just kind of... It doesn't... It, it didn't really click with me, but it has it has a function in it. It's, it's like I was incorrectly at the time saying. It's like Moe. It's like deliberately extra cutesy-wootsy because that helps sell figures and Well, models. that's the thing. It, it, for some people, it's just like, oh, this is really cutesy. I'm going to watch this. Or, ew, this is really cutesy. I'm going to get bored with it. But that's the magic girl sort of... It was playing up the cutesiness, and it had an extremely dark storyline, which I absolutely loved. And uh, I texted Jordan while watching this, and I just said, Cat Rabbit is a, is a dick. <laughs> um that's all I'm going to say. Fuck you, Cuba. Uh, that guy is a jerk. I hate that thing. And um, if a cat comes and talks to you and offers you magical powers, you say no. You say, you say no. no. You say no. Go away, talking cat. Go away. Get out of here. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's... Another, thank, you, thank you, Geek Down. Another fan for Madoka Magica. Shaft, you're on the board. You owe us money. <laughs> So that is about going to do it for us. Uh, the show, you can find it on SoundCloud.com slash GeekDownPod. If you follow us there, you will get a notification every time a new episode goes live. As well, iTunes, top right corner, punch in GeekDown. Click subscribe. So easy. New episodes downloaded to your device as soon as they go live on Tuesdays. We have a Twitter account at GeekDownPod. You can ask us questions there or on our Facebook group, Facebook.com slash GeekDownPod probably the most interesting aspect of the geek down empire uh fun things that occur to me throughout the week and occur to caitlin throughout the week go up there uh, as well corrections are made on the show page which is geekdownpod.tumblr.com if you'd like to speak to me personally i can be found at jordan underscore ferguson on twitter kayam i do anything not exist. you want to plug I, I don't exist on twitter if you disagree with any of uh my observations i'm occasionally on the um the geek down facebook page definitely worth a check some yeah you can some great conversations there you can interact with kayam there and um no otherwise i don't want to hear from any of you <laughs> you don't even look at me if you see me on the street <laughs> uh but no i just want to say thank you jordan for uh having me uh fill in for caitlin caitlin uh your seat will be uh ready for you when you 
uh, return, and um, this has been a fun experience. Thank you both. And thank you, Kayam. Thanks for thanks for coming out and filling in for the absent Ms. McKinnon, who will be back next week, and I'm so excited to give her something not as batshit crazy as audition, but it's gonna be gonna be good times next week on the on the Geekdom. On behalf of the fans, we can't wait. <laughs> thank you. And yeah, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Thank you again to Kayam for filling in, and we will be back here reunited. Scarlet Ember and Sunshine Bubbles will be back together next week to bring you another fine episode of the Geek Down Podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. Shut up, you fuck. <laughs> 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 There's the tag. <laughs>